Welcome to the Sound of Movement podcast. Today we have a very special episode for you. We are going through the top five strength training principles for getting seriously strong. Now, if you are into strength training and you don't know this stuff, you are leaving a lot of results on the table. Like Vasquez said in Aliens, let's rock. If you're new to the tribe, we've got Rich behind the mix. Rad is across the table from me, and my name is Yanni Bormeister. Together, we are Unity Gym experts at turning driven people into athletes. This episode is proudly brought to you by the Unify Movement System, or UMS, the only online program effectively balancing strength, flexibility, and fitness in an amazingly efficient 60-minute workout. You, of course, get access to both of our amazing at-home and gym workout programs, plus our private coaching group where you can get daily coaching from us. As a valued listener, use the link in the description and you will get your first month free and and a 50% lifetime discount. Before we get started, big warm welcome to everyone listening to the replay in the UMS Movement Mastermind Facebook group. Let us know how you are going. Leave a comment and we'll send you guys some love. And lastly, of course, welcome to everyone listening on the podcast and on YouTube live. Leave a comment and uh, let us know who you are and where you're tuning in from and we'll send you some love too. How are you, Rad? Pretty good. I'm, uh, I've had a haircut last night. My wife gave me a haircut. She used to be a hairdresser 20 years ago in another lifetime, but we've been in lockdown for so long and I'm... The dude on all these YouTube videos and everything, so I was sick and tired of everyone giving me shit for what I look like. Um, and now I'm looking at myself on this screen. I've shaved. I've had a haircut. I've got glasses now. I look pretty good. It looks a bit like Clark Kent. I'm looking yeah. pretty pretty Clark Kentish, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time you got cleaned up, oh. man. Our uh, our content was starting to slide. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, there you go. It's good, and we've. Uh, uh, we've got Furkin Alp on the live stream. Hi, hi back. Uh, and everyone who is on the live stream, do let us know and we'll, uh, we'll send you some love. We love, uh, we love chatting. We love chatting. Smash that like button, please. And, uh, <coughs> use the little share button if you really want to hack the system and help us get our content in front of more of your amazing friends and inner circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a really cool topic. I, I could talk all day underwater with a mouthful of marbles about um about the 10 key strength training principles of course these come from our strength blueprint which you can pick up uh as a free download it's in the description there's a link there we have four four blueprints for this for strength uh nutrition flexibility and of course how we produce the best at-home workouts on the planet uh we uh we share all our biggest stuff uh free you know we give it give all the secrets away for free they're not really secrets um uh, but uh we like to uh we like to make sure that people are training uh, effectively. Uh, and uh, greetings from Turkey. They're not secrets at all. They're just, uh, they're very, very well um, researched and published principles for strength and conditioning. We've just summarized them and put them into a way that is um, uh, consumable for the average person. There's a lot of stuff out there to look at, a lot of uh, rabbit holes to get lost down. and. Um, sometimes you can just forget the most important stuff and any great coach will get their students to understand and really master the basics before moving on and 
these are the basics of strength training that, um, well, they're not necessarily the basics, but they're the foundation. Yeah, you know? what I was going to jump in and say is it's not just the average person for me, you know, yeah. like there's so much noise. And luckily, you know, uh, we like to always say that we, uh, we input data from three uh, data points in our program. First of all, it's us. It's our experience training, which is decades upon decades upon decades of trying, researching, putting into practice, putting skin in the game. That's our first data point, us. Our second data point is our tribe, our clients. We've trained thousands of people now over the last 20 years. And uh, if you accumulate the, the coaching years of myself, Rad, Richard, Will now, who's our coaching manager, and Nilesh and Phil, it's it's over a decade of, of coaching experience, you know, so over 70 years of coaching experience. Then, then you the uh, the final data point that we collect information from is science. You know, mm -hmm. we we um we we research, we hit the textbooks, we learn, we learn from people who are better than us. We do courses, we do internships, mm -hmm. we go to strength and conditioning summits, we subscribe to the International Journal of Strength and Conditioning. All these things. The good thing is. The science really hasn't changed much in the last 30 years around strength training. So mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, if you haven't read the, the most recent textbook, you're completely behind. Mm. And so what, what we know ab about the way that the body adapts to, uh, to strength really hasn't changed much in, in decades and decades and decades. But that's a good thing. That means that it's really easy to simplify and, and get right, you know? Mm -hmm. If it was continually changing like nutrition science, my God, you know, nutrition science it's kind of like we keep scraping off a layer of the iceberg and, and, and you re reveal how much more there is to learn. Strength training is very different. And, and that's really good because we can, we can narrow down the content to these most important principles. And if you focus on these most important principles, and there's only really a handful of them, we've narrowed it down to 10, then you get incredible results. Mm -hmm. and, you, and, and it helps you to decipher what's fad and what's BS and what's going to produce the result you're looking for. And that's what I love about this topic. Yep. So let's dive in. Uh, point number one from our strength blueprint is the secret to guaranteed gains. And of course, we're talking progressive overload. So I'll give you the layman uh, description of progressive overload. I love this one. If you could pick up two 10 pound dumbbells, one in each hand, and you could do eight bicep curls and that was the most that you could do and you did three sets of that twice a week for several weeks and after two or three weeks you could now do 12 reps with uh, the 10 pound bicep curls uh, so then you put down the 10 pound weights and you pick up the 12 and a half pound weights and you go back to being able to only do eight reps and then you repeat that process until you can get up to 12 and then you go to 15 that process is a really basic explanation of progressive overload uh, but it is progressive overload that gets you the results that you want. And so many people get this wrong and they don't understand how to do it. And progressive overload is something that you can uh, track uh, and you can manipulate and you can um, largely control. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, 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 this, this is the, um, I, I'm going to dive in and say the most important, the fundamental strength and conditioning principle, oh, for sure. progressive okay. overload. For sure. And this is where... Um, so basically this cuts out, um, if you look at all of the different workouts that you can do, if you look at all the different sort of training modalities that you can do, this immediately eliminates half of them as far as their effectiveness. And one of those is uh, a classic sort of boot camp style workout or an aerobics style workout 
or anything that requires insane amounts of complexity. You know, like if you if you're doing movements that are the, the, the limiting factor is coordination. You know, you need to coordinate this routine, otherwise you can't do it because those routines that require a lot of coordination, although they do a little bit of neural development while you're learning that routine, they're very hard to progress. And so it's very hard to apply the most important principle of strength and conditioning, which is progressive overload. Because if you can't progress it easily, it's very hard to, to progressively overload the body and therefore you will not develop strength and flexibility. Mm. You, you probably won't develop much fitness. Mm. So when you look at the workouts that are designed as sweat sessions that are just there to sort of get you moving, yeah, they've got some benefit, but they're not going to come anywhere near a good strength and conditioning program that applies the principle of progressive overload. And this is why for the bent arm strength, well, actually, this is why for Definitely the bent arm strength workouts in the UMS for the first few phases, we have very little calisthenics because calisthenics for a beginner is hard to um, apply progressive overload to it because you only really have um, the amount of reps that you can that you do, the leverage that you create with the movement, the mechanical advantage or disadvantage by using leverage. Uh, and then the exercise selection, the complexity of the exercise selection. And those three variables to um, manipulate to achieve progressive overload are hard for a beginner. With weightlifting, it's far easier because with weightlifting, it's as simple as either adding weight to the barbell or with going up weight in dumbbells or removing it. Um, or, incre or, or increasing range of movement over yeah, time. Yeah, yep. So it, that's much easier for a beginner to, to get right. And that's why in the first three phases of the UMS, we it's not that we don't do any calisthenics because in the straight arm strength workouts, it's all calisthenics, but we limit the calisthenics. We, um, you know, we don't, um, you know, we introduce more and more calisthenics as the, as the um, progressions, uh, as the phases of the program go up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all, it, it and also- And that's called periodization, which yeah. is something that we'll talk about that, later. That's right. <laughs> I mean, and look, there are, I like to say there are six variables that we can manipulate to progressively overload your body uh, by making um, manipulating these either make the workouts harder, more difficult, or easier. And they are, of course, the um, the volume that you do, which is sets, reps, times, time under tension. Uh, set, sets, well, hang on, because uh, you're about to talk about a point that is in next week's show. Oh, really? What's well, that? program periodization that's point number six oh, okay yeah. all right, all so right. we should probably move on to the second point here um and this is really you know when we talk on these shows this is uh um I, i'm i'm more of the flexibility um and calisthenics dude yanni is more of the weightlifting and strength training dude so this is really yanni's jam here i'm just kind of steering him in the direction to make sure that he doesn't go down a rabbit hole um but this yanni is a is an expert at this stuff so point number two the actual mechanism of strength gains explained and of course we're talking about super compensation so again i'll give you the layman description of it and then Yanni can go deeper into it. So super compensation, like what, what you're what you're trying to achieve when you apply progressive overload uh, and when you lift weights or when you do stretch stretching or when you do cardio training, running, whatever, you're trying to achieve adaptation. Make no mistake, when you're in the gym, you're in there to achieve adaptation. You give the body a stimulus and the goal is that the body adapts to that stimulus. Now, at the peak of that adaptation is something called supercompensation. 
And supercompensation is what happens when you stress the tissues so much that when you repeatedly stress them, the body responds to that, supercompensates and elevates beyond your initial baseline. So if we talk about strength, because that's what today's show is about, um, the idea being if you were doing a four-week program block when you introduce a new stimulus, and this is all, everything I'm about to say is it's provided that you train hard enough with the correct technique. So we're pre so when we say all this, it presumes that you push yourself hard enough with the correct technique. If you push yourself hard enough with the correct technique, what happens is your initial baseline strength can actually even drop in the first week or so. In the second week, it's, it starts to come back up to baseline. And in the third week, you start to achieve super compensation um, where, where it can start going up. Do you want to talk more about that now, Yanni? Yeah, well, look, the, the, the super compensation effect is... Uh the, 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 the easiest way to apply this is, is in your training split, you know? So what, what we know through a, a quite a lot of research is that the, the body, as Rad, as Rad said uh, so eloquently, you stimulate the body with a bout of exercise, a dose of exercise. The exercise initially actually um, makes you weaker because you're exhausted after it, you know? And usually that um, uh, happens at its greatest point immediately you have an immediate strength drop off really great way to visualize this is you go and do uh, a massive workout and of course if you were to try and repeat that workout immediately afterwards you wouldn't be able or to or even the next day probably yeah. like doing the same volume the same intensity everything it'd yeah. be very well, very it, hard it, you, you have an immediate drop off you drop off a cliff after that workout you deplete all of the the, the muscle substrates the energy the 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 ATP, the, um, the creatine phosphate, all of that sort of uh, um, stuff that, that fuels your muscle. And then uh, you, and of course, you, you, if you train hard enough, you cause um, micro tears and, and metabolic damage to the tissue itself, the muscle tissue. Uh, and then immediately once you leave the gym or finish your run or whatever the stimulus is that you do, whether it's cardio, whether it's gym training, whether it's sport, whatever, immediately once you finish, your body starts to recover. It goes into the recovery phase and that recovery primarily happens uh, when you go to sleep that night, but it will start to come back immediately. And you, you know, even six hours after a workout, you'll be able to do more than you could immediately after that workout. It, that's obvious. Everyone knows that. But that that recovery creates an arcing curve if we were to graph it, and it starts to level out after about a day, and then after two days, it's almost finished the recovery. But what what happens is, rather than just recovering to the point that you started at when you walked into the gym, the recovery supercompensates, just like Rad said, because of the stimulus. The body kind of goes, well, if I'm going to get tortured like that again I'm going to need to prepare myself a little bit for it so that I'm better prepared next time so that the recovery mechanism super compensates and the curve actually exceeds if you're looking at it on a graph it exceeds the original baseline and the peak of that exceeding curve is what's referred to as the super compensation curve and it it's roughly and it kind of depends on your recovery program and strategies a little bit on genetics and how conditioned you are to exercise but it's it's pretty much on average 72 hours after the stimulus occurred which is why a good training split will be designed to re-stimulate the same movements or the same muscles roughly three days after they're stimulated the first time and this is why 
a personal trainer or a strength coach will emphasize consistency is so important with training because if you stimulate your body on Monday and then you don't stimulate it again until the following Monday, you're losing, you're leaving a lot of the gains on the table. You know, it, you, you'll, you, the, the, the super compensation curve the, won't come all the way back down to your baseline uh, at, that you were at before that Monday stimulation, but it will almost come down there. You'll lose a lot of the potential for strength um, adaptation. And so, you know, we, we get a lot of people say, oh, you know, I plateaued, I've done, I'm not gaining strength, I'm not gaining, nine times out of 10, it's because they don't understand this principle. Mm -hmm. And that is that they're training the same muscle too much. Mm -hmm. You get the guys that you see in the gym who come in every afternoon and do bench press and bicep curls. And mm -hmm. that, you know, initially anything you do will yield the response, but very quickly, usually after a few months, half a year, it just doesn't work <coughs> anymore because your body's adapted, got that initial stimulus adaptation. And they complain that they're not gaining much strength anymore because they just keep doing it too much and they're not allowing that super compensation to take effect or they're not training frequently enough. And you get the, 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 the people who, you know, train once every week or twice every week or they might do a chest workout once every fortnight and they're just not capturing that um, super compensation curve at all so it's really really important that people understand that and this is where a good coach and a good program will, will kick in because you design the split so that you're re-stimulating that tissue at just the right time so that it's not too early it's not too late we maximize that super compensation effect yep and something that a lot of people don't understand is that the the peak of super compensation actually really occurs when you are deloading right it's, absolutely it's um so when you get it right when you do like a four-week um mesocycle like what we do if you do it properly like if you watch me doing the the at-home workouts like by the time i'm in week three in peak week i am so fatigued and i and i find it very very hard to get the same amount of reps um or um to be able to train at that same level i was doing in week two and then when you deload and you and you go through the deload week where you reduce your volume by um uh 60 percent by the end of that deload week you have effectively achieved super compensation and much stronger like yeah. when i came into this next phase into phase seven i was so much stronger and you know to tie into your question that you're asking here oscar saying is there a minimum or perfect amount of hours of sleep for good recovery there absolutely is um and the minimum uh amount of sleep i would say the absolute minimum is seven hours but m more perfect is more like eight and a half there's a, um, there's a couple of variables that come into this. It's a really great question. The, a the answer to is there a perfect amount of hours sleep for good recovery as much as you can possibly get is yeah. the perfect amount. There's so much research to indicate that if you can get, when you're really training the body hard, if you can be in mm. bed for 10 hours a night, brilliant mm. you know because the reality is is that you're only going to get about eight hours of sleep eight or nine hours like i track and monitor my sleep really excessively because it's a, an, a something that i've had to work in overcoming i've got all sorts of apps fitbits that i i monitor my sleep and i need to be i i hit like lights out at 8 30 to 9 o'clock at night and i am up uh out of bed i spring out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and so i'm usually in bed for nine and a half hours uh sometimes 10 hours uh, but out of that if i track my sleep you have four different types of sleep cycle and the actual deep restorative sleep where the really big repair is is occurring is never more than four hours uh and and they they the the, the 
research sort of indicates that you do want four to six hours of deep restorative sleep. That's the minimum. Mm -hmm. So you go in cycles where you'll be in, um, in REM sleep, you'll be in light sleep, and then you'll be in deep sleep and you go in these 90 minute sort of sleep cycles. And yeah, you want to try and accumulate uh, about four to six hours of deep restorative sleep. And for that, you kind of need to go through about four to six full cycles and that each cycle is about 90 minutes. So I like to say you've got to have lights out in a cold room, uh, the colder the better because your body um, uh, produces more of the right hormones when you're, when you're in a colder room at night. It has to be pitch black and uh, has to have good ventilation and you need to be in that environment for at least eight to 10 hours mm -hmm. if you're training hard, if you want the best results. Don't freak out if you can't replicate that. Just do your best, but yeah, it will help. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the next uh, the next principle that we're going to talk about today from the strength blueprint is um, how to use periodic overreaching to your advantage. Super accumulation. We're super talking about here. Yeah. Or super, super compensation. No, that's not no, super compensation. No, super accumulation. Super accumulation. So yeah. the, one of our uh, members from our online um, training tribe uh blakely um just asked for the super accumulation program uh the original one and and he, you're about to get murdered blakely when you see what is in it compared to the <laughs> one that you did first uh time around but yanni why don't you um talk about what periodic overreaching is yeah this is this is like my favorite uh i think my favorite of all strength training principles and I like to do it a couple of times a year. It's a great, great, great way to um, absolutely destroy uh, training plateaus. Uh, and it's essentially prescribed overtraining. Uh, it's, it's using the um, overtraining mechanism. Like we said with, um, with uh, progressive overload and supercompensation, exercise is all about the right amount of stimulation and then the right amount of recovery afterwards to allow your body to fully adapt. And you can bend those rules. You can, you can um, just like Neo learnt to bend the matrix, you can bend the rules of the body's physiology uh, to get to squeeze more juice out of the tank uh, you, it's not recommended that you do it all like, like constantly because it, it really can um, take a toll on your immune system. But a few times a year sprinkled in your training is a fantastic way to really continually level up. And essentially what it is, is uh, um, purposefully overtraining your body, purposefully overtraining and then having an extended period of very carefully designed recovery to uh, uh, increase the the natural adaptation response and there's the, the sky is really the limit with how hard you can train here it comes down to what you can mentally withstand and also physically withstand you know when you do prescribed overreaching it's ne not recommended that you ever do it for more than two weeks if you're really doing it properly and then you need uh, roughly five days recovery afterwards where you literally do nothing but eat sleep and maybe maybe a little bit of sex in there because that's going to help stimulate um, testosterone and other uh, other good healthy hormones uh, and a lot of people get it wrong because you know taking five days off they think oh no, that's murder I can't not train for five days honestly if you if you feel like you can train for for the five-day recovery period after a true super super accumulation program or a, a prescribed overreaching period you haven't trained hard enough during the stimulation period so not we, even close we, br we break <laughs> it into two phases there's the stimulation <clears throat> period 
and the adaptation period. I like to call it the adaptation period more than the recovery period when I'm talking to people because it just starts to frame, it's a, it's a really purposefully designed period where you're just at a fo focusing on the adaptation and you're doing everything possible in your lifestyle to, um, to, to I guess, turbocharge that adaptation there's nutrition supplementation you can take you can use you can um, extend the period of sleeping you can have day naps you can go get um, uh, therapy physical therapies massage uh, needling things like that uh, and um, and yeah you really really just double down on on your adaptation so during the stimulation period Usually what, what, what we do in our superhuman strength program is that we train nine times in two weeks. So nine times in 13 days. And then we follow that with a five day adaptation period where we use a few nutrition supplements. Uh, we increase the daily caloric intake. Uh, we increase the daily protein intake and we eat a bunch of, a variety of foods, natural foods and herbs that help to naturally stimulate the body's testosterone and growth hormone production, things like seaweed. And there's a whole bunch, there's a whole protocol that we use with our tribe to, uh, to get the best results. And um, it's, it's incredible. Like it really, really, you can, you, if you do it properly, you can expect roughly a 30% I've experienced a 30% increase in strength. Like just say hypothetically your, your bench press was a hundred kilos for, um, six repetitions. You, you might get up to about 130 kilos by the end of it. If you do it properly, it's phenomenal. That's not guaranteed because there are other factors that you need to take into consideration. Um, like, you know, uh, do you have existing injuries and problems and things like that? But when you did at that time, what did you go from with your back squat? You went, I'm trying to find the back squat so Richard can bring it up on the screen, but I went from, um, uh, I think my best back squat was just under 150 kilos or around 150 kilos. Um, but that was like my absolute best and I, when i finished the two-week super accumulation program i did 170 kilos and i did it so well that we i tried 180 if yeah. you remember and i got down and halfway up but i, yeah, I didn't yeah. do it uh, and that was double my body weight that was exactly double um 170 i was 85 kilograms at the time so for those of you um over in the states that's it's about 380 pounds or yeah. something when like I, that. When I say 30% strength gain, I don't mean what's your best ever effort ever training. I mean, what did you do at the start of the program? And then what could you do at the end of the program when you retest? Uh, because that usually makes quite a difference. You know, my mm -hmm. best ever deadlift is 230 kilos. But if I tried to go pick that up today, I wouldn't be able to do it. I haven't been training in, in, a, spe in a strength specialization program for that. I might... I might do maybe 200, you know, uh, if I, if I warmed up to it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, look, I, I, for me, it, it always delivers an incredible result. It, it's always quite shocking how much strength you can gain. And you can also, if you, if you, um, if you calorie load, you can also put on a lot of muscle mass during that period too. You know, yeah. you can really kick the body into a mu mus muscle cell myogenesis and, and just like totally, um, shock yourself in putting on a couple of kilos, maybe um, two to four kilos over the two week period. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it sure is. And it's, um, yeah, it's funny when I, I remember when I did it and I said to you, you know, can I, uh, 
can I stretch or can I do this or can I do that after my workouts? And you said, man, if you do this properly, you're not going to be able to. And you seriously can't. If you do it properly, it takes a couple of days and you're so wrecked. And the idea is the, this, the, the, it's all in the name, it prescribed overreaching. So you're intentionally pushing yourself into a state of overreaching. Oh my God, there's, yeah. there's just no room for anything by, else. I mean, by the second week, the first week you kind of question whether it's, it's, it's happening or it's working or you're training hard enough. The first few days you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. By the second week, you've got so much accumulative fatigue and DOMS and you question whether it's sane. You're kind of like, what, why am I going to the gym right now to repeat these workouts? Why am I going to train twice today? Why am I going to squat every day this week? Why am I going to do deadlifts in this afternoon? And by the end of the second week, you start to, you, you should, if you've done it properly, you, you start to feel uh, depressed. Like you, and you can start to feel like you're getting a flu. You, you, you know, your body is really pushing at the envelope. And that's what you're meant to feel like. It's ridiculous. And we actually do that intentionally, you know. And you, you might be thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not how you're meant to train. Absolutely. You're not meant to train yeah, like that all not. the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's a prescribed, carefully prescribed um, uh, stimulus that we do uh, only a few times a year. And, uh, and that's, um, yeah, you know, that's... That's the, that's what it's all about, you know. Yep. I think Richie, if if you can you bring that up, I found the video where you can see me. But this is um, so I, I did this. This was the first time I ever did this, and I went in there like you really got to wrap your head around this um, because I went in with my best ever squat being 150 kilos, and this is me two weeks later uh, doing 170 um, kilos, and it the it flew up so fast that I well not literally, but that I went straight into trying 180 um, for me. So let's see, here we go. So there's no knee wraps, there's no belt or anything like that. So it's a D, it's, I mean, look, it's double my body weight. I reckon it's, that man bun would have given you those <laughs> too. Obviously compared to uh, any power lifters or weightlifting champions, it's nothing, a double body weight squat. Uh, but you know, I'm not on the gear and, and I'm not uh, a weightlifting specialist. So I was pretty happy with it. So for those uh, Americans out there, it's 374 pounds. And that was exactly double my body weight. Anyway, yeah. there you go. There's my uh, very small uh, strength achievement in the world of uh, strength and conditioning, <laughs> but nonetheless, a good achievement. Um, so we're, now we're on to point number four, which is how to use different muscle contractions to bust through strength plateaus. Now, the example that we talk about here, and again, I'll just frame this and, and Yanni can jump in, but we talk about, um, uh, there's three different muscle contractions that we can uh, that we can use in our training. Now, the first one is a concentric muscle contraction, which is the one that most people are familiar with, which is where the muscle fibers shorten during the contraction. So it's basically the, the part of any weightlifting movement where you're pushing the weight away from you. So it's the, it, it, it messes with some people's heads in a pull-up because in a pull-up, it's where you're pulling yourself up to the bar. But if you're on a bench press, it's where you're pushing the barbell away from your chest. If you're on a squat, it's where you're standing up. If you're on a deadlift, it's where you li That's the, where the, mus the muscle fibers are shortening to create a contraction. Then we've got an isometric muscle contraction, which is where the muscles are neither lengthening nor shortening during the contraction. That might confuse you. You might think, well, how does a muscle contract like that? Well, anytime you're standing up, your body has a 
series of isometric muscle contractions going on that are holding you up and you don't even notice them because we stand all the time but if there were no muscle contractions going on you'd fall to the floor and then the third one is the eccentric muscle contraction which is where a muscle fiber or muscle fibers are lengthening during the contraction so let's talk about a pull-up this is the point of a pull-up where you're coming back down so you've gone to the top of the pull-up and as you go down is an eccentric pull-up now this is what's really interesting we actually are about 50% stronger eccentrically than we are concentrically, which means if you could bench press 100 pounds and you could do one rep and that was the most you could ever do, you could actually, most likely, this is you know a rough theoretically. estimate, theoretically, theoretically, you would be able to take 150 pounds and lower it down under control. Of course, you wouldn't be able to move it at all once it got there, but you're still developing concentric strength when you do an eccentric contraction. And in fact, when it comes to hypertrophy of the muscle fibers, the majority of the work, the majority of the damage to the muscle fibers that causes them to, to adapt and hypertrophy become bigger happens in the eccentric contraction, doesn't it? That's right. And that's why most good muscular hypertrophy programs, bodybuilding programs will really slow down the movement because you want to get more metabolic damage. You want to get more, as much damage to the tissue as possible because that's the quickest way to enlarge the cell. And uh, eccentric contractions, uh, slowing down nice slow eccentrics is a really, really great way to do that. Um, the other thing that eccentrics are extremely uh, good for, beneficial for, useful for, is busting through concentric plateaus. When you can't do a pull-up, when you can't lift yourself up, the most classic example we use in, in UMS is we use isometrics to correct poor form. So let's say hypothetically, you, you can't, you can, you might be able to do 10 pull-ups, but you can't do one good form pull-up, meaning get your chest to the bar, shoulders depressed, uh, scapula and um, shoulders retracted and depressed, which we, we call a full pull, a true pull-up or a true chin-up, you know. Um, we use isometrics in that point to get the body because sometimes it's a it's a it's a neural um, dysfunction. You'd br you'd, you've just never practiced it correctly. This is why we harp on about technique optimization being so critical in the early stages of someone's training and, and life cycle. Um, if you if you can't get that form, then you need to just um, create neurons in that in that um, movement. You need to strengthen the brain muscle connection. So isometrics are fantastic for that. Isometrics are also fantastic, of course, for calisthenics, uh, for building core strength, for building um, uh, uh, movements like um, holds, uh, flags, levers, planches, things like that. <sighs> Eccentrics become amazingly important when we're doing movements like uh, chin-ups, like muscle-ups, like uh, squats, because you've got that 50% stronger um, uh, sort of threshold there, you can often practice a movement in reverse that you can't do yet going forwards, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, of course. So a really good example is the transition on a muscle up. We use it a lot on the transition on a muscle up. When we're training our tribe to do, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, a, a strict muscle up, not a kipping ridiculous um, uh, CrossFit muscle up where you use momentum to get you up. We're talking about strict, slow tempo, gymnastics uh, muscle up. 
then we will get our tribe doing it in reverse first. And, and banking reps in that eccentric contraction, as Rad said before, is yielding a result that's making the concentric stronger. And it also is laying those neurons down so that uh, strengthening and thickening those neurons, um, uh, accumulating fat or, uh, tissue around those neurons so that when we fire those uh, to try and do the concentric phase, it comes more naturally and stronger. Yep. Yeah, and it's something that we do with, uh, you know, we, we've had great results with people that cannot do pull-ups um, by teaching them how to use isometric contractions and then eccentric contractions. And there's all these calculations and formulas that we teach people to use to, to calculate how long they should be holding for and how they increase um, and how they basically ap apply progressive overload. But in the, in the gist of it, the way that we periodize it is, somebody that can't do a pull-up in phase one we first get them doing feet assisted pull-ups where their feet are on the ground and it's helping them to learn that technique that we spoke about for technique optimization then we teach an isometric pull-up where we have the chest to the bar still feet supported but we're really creating a strong connection with the way that you retract and depress the scapula and lift your chest right up to prevent this rounding of the shoulders and only once we can do that and we've achieved a certain level with it do we then go to eccentric pull-ups because if we go to eccentric pull-ups too quickly as soon as people lift their feet off the ground their shoulders go like that and they lower down slowly and then once people can start doing those good eccentric reps um, that very quickly turns into being able to do proper pull-ups. Good concentric yep. reps, yeah. And it's right. a really, really nice process that works really, uh, it works really well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the secret to our, uh, our, our pull-up masterclass, our gymnastic rings masterclass, and our muscle-up masterclass, because so many people try to use bands to bridge the gap, uh, the strength deficit um, in, in that ability, and the band really mucks with the strength cycle um uh, uh, the strength curve and it it's not it doesn't carry over to real um real life they're only useful when you're trying to overload a muscle not trying to learn a new skill mm -hmm. there you go you heard it here first that's right so uh now let's move into the last point for today and the last point for today is how do you use mobility training to maximize your strength gains? Now, you might seem like, what? I'm, you know, mobility helps me become stronger. Well, most people think that you can't be strong and flexible at the same time. This is completely wrong. Um, it's actually it's disadvantageous and dangerous to train for strength if you're inflexible. So I, this is just the best example that I can think of. If you really think that you can't be strong and flexible, then don't ever watch the uh, an Olympic gymnast because they're going to prove you really or, wrong. Or an Olympic or an Olympic weightlifter. You know? <laughs> because Olympic, like I'm a pretty flexible person. I mean, we sell flexibility programs that I've used to get really flexible. Put me in a room with an Olympic weightlifter, and I am not flexible compared mm. to those people. Those guys are on another level. And the reason why is because when you're when you're not flexible, your muscles actually fight themselves within a joint system that prevent you from being able to express true strength. So I'll give you an example like with a squat. If we talk about just the knee, so there's three joints that really come into play in a squat. There's the ankle, knee, and hip. If we talk about the knee joint, you've got the hamstring uh, muscle system and you've got the quadricep muscle system. So they're both muscle systems of multiple muscles that on one side of the knee, the quadriceps uh, create knee uh, extension, and on the other side of the knee, the hamstrings create knee flexion. When you go down to the full range of motion in a squat, 
If your quadriceps were really, really tight, then as you get to the bottom of the range of motion, they're preventing you from, from uh, accessing full range of motion because they're so tight, they stop you before you, you access that full range of motion. Now this limits strength potential for many reasons. One of them is because you can't access the full stretch shortening cycle of your muscles. And also just because there's a whole bunch of um, processes that are going on in your body to prevent you from injuring yourself that don't happen in some in the, that exact same person that is flexible. Yeah. And, you know, again, look at an Olympic weightlifter. And if you're going to argue that they're not some of the strongest people in the world, I don't know where you're getting your information from uh, because those people are truly phenomenal and they are so goddamn flexible. Yeah. The, the, a good example we had recently in our at-home workouts where we're doing the live, there was a bit of a debate on what was easier, a pistol squat or a, um, what's the, what, what are we doing now? It's a um, shrimp. a shrimp squat. And this is a really great example of what it feels like to use the full stretch shortening cycle. The reason why a pistol squat for many people who can do it properly feels easier than a shrimp squat is that the, the pistol squat uses the full stretch shortening cycle. So you go all the way down to the bottom and the muscle that's lengthened helps to basically work like an elastic band and swing you back up again, helps you create momentum to come back up again. Whereas when you do a shrimp squat, you're, you're stopping halfway. And so you're not getting that elastic band effect. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, I've done, uh, I, I'm one of few people who could say this, that I've done my max effort barbell back squat as a stiff person, which is 180 kilos. And I've done my max effort barbell back squat as a flexible person, 180 kilos. I've never squatted more than 180 kilos, but I've attempted it and done it and successfully completed it both as a stiff person and as a flexible person. And I can guarantee you, it was easier as a flexible, more flexible person. Mm -hmm. It felt better. It was easier. It was a lot less effort. It was, it was more effortless, you mm -hmm. know, and that's because I was accessing that stretch shortening cycle properly and I wasn't fighting myself. I wasn't wasting energy uh, trying to tell a muscle to relax and and uh, and allow me to hit that bottom range. Yeah, you know? and, and, and I mean, I can attest to that as well. I've had, um, uh, you know, I've tried to get stronger when I wasn't that flexible and everything just hurts, you know. Um, when you're more flexible, you can just do the movements that that you're trying to do so much easier. Um, and it's, uh, you know, what we really try to, then the reason why this point is in the strength blueprint is because we really believe this and we've experienced it ourselves and we've produced exceptional results with thousands of members and we draw examples from real life uh, examples that anybody can see when you turn on the TV by looking at, for example, Olympic weightlifters and Olympic gymnasts, phenomenal, strength phenomenal like the, the the highest levels of strength that a human being can achieve coupled with the highest levels of flexibility that a human being yeah. can achieve yeah so um yeah this is something that you really want to wrap your head around and and you know when we talk about we, of course the point is uh it's actually about mobility that we're talking about but mobility and flexibility um uh, go hand in hand and it's something that um, you know, if you're listening to this and thinking, well, how do I do it? I, you know, I want to get strong. How do I program for flexibility and, and mobility training? And the easiest, the, the, the grassroots of it is that you want to do a, a 10 minute mobility session before you strength train, which doesn't detract from the strength training that you're about to do. A good mobility session 
accesses your full range of motion and prepares your nervous system to be able to express strength through full range of motion safely. It includes positioning drills and muscle activation drills, and it doesn't detract from the workout, unlike a stretching session. Yep. which we do stretching, but stretching is not to be done before a strength training session. And if you do that and then strength train using that same full range of motion, that's a really good way to start with increasing mobility and, 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 uh, and getting stronger at the same time. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, that brings us to our first five uh, top strength training principles. And those first five are arguably the most important, I think. You know, it is so, so, so important that you understand progressive overload. It is so important that you understand the supercompensation um, uh, effect. Because if you're training too sporadically or like too, too often, classic example, doing the same workout every day just to get a pump so you look good, but without actually allowing your body to adapt to the workout properly, or you're not training frequently enough, you're not training consistently enough, then you're really leaving a lot of opportunity on the table and probably not going to ever achieve your strength goals. Uh, same if you... Um, if you you know if you're at a level where you've been consistent for a long period of time and you feel like your your results are slowing down and diminishing, which will happen, uh, then it might be time to start prescribing a bit of overreaching in 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 um, your programming every couple of years, uh, and then of course mobility uh, um, uh, throwing in mobility training and uh, how to use different muscle contractions is going to help exponentially. Uh, next week on the podcast, we're gonna talk about um, how to bring this all in with program periodization, how to put it together, what that should look like, how to plan the mac macro cycles, mesocycles, micro cycles of a program, uh, and, and what it um, what it should sort of look like. You know, we're going to talk about some of the things that the best coaches don't want you to know because they want you to pay them big dollars to <laughs> to put it together for you. And on on that note, of course, you can always join our coaching program, and we'll do it for you. Uh, we've got a flash sale going on this weekend, which is the Handstand Masterclass. If you want to pick that up, it's an amazing program. I'm going to be teaching you about isometric contractions a lot in that one. Uh, it's also really, really good for wrist, shoulder, and core conditioning. And uh, other than that, love to thank everybody who joined us on the live, um, asking questions, and uh, we will see you all next week. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're going to have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. It's the gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.